scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke, and we are in chapter 9, verses 28 through 43. And we are finishing our series, our eight-week epiphany series, which was broken down into two four-week parts, and today is our final of See All the People, and we are focused on the astounded crowd as a part of understanding Transfiguration Sunday. So our Our scripture begins in verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said these things, he took Peter, John, and James and went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes flashed white like lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, were talking with him. They were clothed with heavenly splendor and spoke about Jesus' departure, which he would achieve in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were almost overcome by sleep, but they managed to stay awake and saw his glory as well as the two men with him. As the two men were about to leave Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good that we're here. We should construct three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But he didn't know what he was saying. Peter was still speaking when a cloud overshadowed them. As they entered the cloud, they were overcome with awe. Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Even as the voice spoke, Jesus was found alone. They were speechless and at the time told no one what they had seen. The next day, when Jesus, Peter, John, and James had come down from the mountain, a large crowd met Jesus. A man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to take a look at my son, my only child, Look, a spirit seizes him, and without any warning, he screams. It shakes him and causes him to foam at the mouth. It tortures him and rarely leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to throw it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, You faithless and crooked generation, how long will I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him down and shook him violently. Jesus spoke harshly to the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. Everyone was astounded by God's greatness. So we, we come to this transfiguration story, and we've heard it many times, and, and I want to begin, I guess, with a little bit of personal information, something that's unique to me, that I got to go to Israel about a year ago, and that trip changed my life in, in lots of ways. One of them was to be in some of the places where we find that these stories take place. And today's particular story is said to have taken place on Mount Tabor. And, well, it's one of two. It's one of two mountains where people think that that mountain uh, was, that the transfiguration occurred. And if you can believe it or not, they don't agree. People argue about which mountain it was. Anyway, they took us to this one, Mount Tabor. And Mount Tabor, as you look at it, doesn't look uh, spectacular or magnificent. It's not a huge mountain. It's big, but it's not anything like we're used to seeing when we look at pictures of mountains. But what we find is at the top of this, it is high enough. And when we were there that day, as you can see in the picture, the cloud descended and touched and covered the top of the mountain. So I got to be on Mount Tabor as the cloud came in and rolled in around us where it was hard to see more than five, ten feet in front of us. And we got to spend an hour or so in the cloud uh, before it dissipated about the time that we 
left. And quite magnificent. So when I hear this passage, I am reminded of this story. This story that it's in multiple Gospels. And every time we find this story, what we find immediately coupled with it is the story of the boy that's demon-possessed. And it's as if all the Gospel writers understand that these stories go together. You cannot have one without the other. And oftentimes, we just focus in on the glory part of Jesus on the mountain and his face shining and his clothes dazzling. Moses and Elijah, the sound of God's voice, the cloud. And it's very easy, very tempting to stay in that scene because that's a scene we all want to be a part of. We're like Peter. We want to stay there forever. And if you've had a mountaintop experience, as we kind of use that lingo borrowed from this passage, we understand that life changes when you have a mountaintop experience, when the presence of God becomes so known to you that you recognize that there's a power in you and a power around you, and it is captivating and awe-inspiring. It is astounding. And we want to stay there. And many of us, as we come down from that mountaintop experience, we we have a sadness that we aren't experiencing that. And we actually go and we look to find ways to get back up on the mountain or a mountain. And we become so focused on this mountaintop experience that we actually step out of the mission to which we have been called, which I think is exactly why we find this story of the demon-possessed boy coupled with this transfiguration story every single time. Now, as we walk through the story, we're going to find that there are things in the text that are very clear to the writers that wrote them in the Greek language, but in the English translation goes unnoticed. We, we pass right over it. It's one of the problems of dealing with the English version of our scripture. It's one reason I, I am so thankful to have uh, had the opportunity to explore the Greek, because you see things. Um, for instance, the word that we find is departure. Moses and Elijah are up there with Jesus. Peter, James, and John are witnessing these three men, Elijah, Jesus, and Moses, talking about Jesus' departure, which would tell us, oh, the cross or maybe the ascension, uh, that's Jesus' departure. But that's actually not what's being said because if we look in the Greek, we find the word exodon, and the base word for that is exodus. Exodus is what we find written in the Scripture. And if we think of exodus, we don't think of Jesus' death. What do we think of? We think of Moses. We think of the book Exodus, which tells the story of Israel having been liberated from captivity and slavery in Egypt. Now, the word for Egypt is also the idea, uh, the word, the, the phrase is the narrow place or the restriction place, the place of constriction, this place where they were bound and forced into slavery. God comes and leads them into an exodus, a departure into the wilderness where anything can happen. And then spends 40 years, as the story goes, to prepare them to be God's people in God's land, to be a new kind of nation through which the entire world will come to be liberated. The entire world will be brought into the exodus. And we know that that's not exactly how the story went. It had its ups and downs. There were times when the people of Israel were offering liberation to others, and there were times when they were not. Well, we find Jesus here on the mountain with those that represent the people and the law and the faith of Israel, Elijah and Moses, the prophet and the liberator, 
talking with Jesus about his exodus because they understand that Jesus is here to deliver us from a slavery to sin and death, the ultimate exodus. And this exodus is going to occur in Jerusalem, which is where Jesus will begin to go when he steps down the mountain. Luke is the traveling gospel. Here in just a few verses that will clearly say Jesus turns his face toward Jerusalem and for the next 10 chapters he will make his way there to complete his exodus journey, which is what his purpose was. But before he begins this, he's on a mountain. He brings three disciples. They struggle to stay awake, but they manage to. Now the theme of sleep in Scripture is, is one we can explore It's all about us staying awake and not being lulled to sleep by the way of the world or the way that's counter to God. Here they stay awake and they see the glory of Jesus on a mount in prayer. And the journey to Jerusalem is going to conclude with these same three disciples being invited onto another mount, the Mount of Olives. And they will struggle to stay awake and in fact they will fall asleep as Jesus prays asking for the means of his exodus to be taken away from him, but that he will do God's will. The story, the journey to Jerusalem is is crafted that we find the same beginning and end, something I like to call the biblical sandwich, if you will, which has everything in between is defined by these two moments. And they want to stay on the mountain. In fact, Peter wants to build shrines, or actually what the word is as it refers to the booths that we also find in the Old Testament, where they will dwell and house the presence of power and honor it. Peter essentially says, let's live on the mountain. Why would we want to go anywhere else? And I can't blame him, because we do the same thing. There's a painting done by the artist Raphael, and in the painting, if you you see it right there, the painting... And the top half is the transfiguration story. We see Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and they're actually floating. They're levitating in the air. They're all white and brilliant. Below them, cowering, are Peter, James, and John. And we see kind of off to the side, roughly, the other disciples, um, Raphael's interpretation. And then below the mountain, we see the scene of the demon-possessed boy and the crowd in a frenzy around the darkness. And it is dark in this half of the painting. And you could see two lone hands coming from various people pointing up the mountain because they understand that the source of the exodus, the source of the freedom for this boy is going to come from the source of the sun on the mountain. And in the painting, we have these two worlds held together. But what often happens is we get focused on the top half. And we tell that story. And we get stuck there. And as the great theologian Johnny Cash sings a song about, he says, we become so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. The idea that we want to stay up on the mountain like Peter and forego the mission that we have been called to, that Jesus experiences the glory, but then he must descend the mountain into the mission to which he was called, knowing it will full well lead him to his death. Now this story comes Right after Jesus has been named the Christ, he's gathered his disciples and says, who do people say that I am? And and they offer different identities. And finally he says, well, who do you say I am, disciples of mine? And and Peter says, Jesus, you are are the Christ. You are the Christ. 
and Jesus celebrates, but also then offers the purpose of the Messiah and the Christ. He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and be killed. To which Peter replies, no, you're not. No way. That's, that's never going to happen over my dead body. And Peter, trying to keep alive what it is that he finds glorious, has turned counter to Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I have come to do this thing. And you must carry your cross. You must engage the world in mission and And you must be the embodiment of an exodus for people as well if you think that you're going to follow me. If you want to know glory, the glory that I've come to bring is not about the glory we see shining bright on the mountain. The glory that I've come to bring is the glory that comes down into the depths where people are haunted and people are enslaved and ensnared and people need freedom, where the people are crying out, where they're being tortured, where they're being oppressed where they're being abused, where they're being excluded, where they're being rejected and judged and condemned. You want to see the glory of God, you need to go to the people, all the people. See them. See all the people and free them. And they will be astounded by the glory of God that Jesus has come to reveal. But we want to be on the mountain. Me too. Okay, me too. It's better on the mountain. It's safe. It's fantastic. It's awesome. But when we descend the mountain, we do so because we follow Jesus, because Jesus didn't come to live in the glory of this spectacle. Jesus came to go into the pits of human despair and offer freedom, offer the exodus. And that means it's going to cost him Because the people that hold others in slavery fight back. And this world does not like the idea of glory. We're fighting for greatness so much, it seems, in our world and in our culture. We talk about making things great again and talking about seeking glory and greatness and being first. And Jesus says, that is not my way. My glory is not about being great My glory is about being least and serving and loving and freeing and giving up of myself and suffering if I must and picking up my cross daily to follow the will of God. So we have a choice. We have a choice. We come to this space on Sundays and we experience the glory of God and and all of its wonder and awe and we praise and it's good. It's really good. Amen? And then I look and I imagine beyond these walls all the homes that are around us and I wonder, do we know their names? Do we know the names of the neighbors of the church? Do you know the names of all of your neighbors? Do we even understand what kind of things are going on behind this church in this little neighborhood or down the street in that neighborhood or in those houses or those rentals? Do we know what what oppression and what slavery is happening right down our street? And are we so heavenly minded that we have become no earthly good for those people? It's good to be on the mountain. Yes, but Jesus does not remain there. Jesus descends to go to the people, all the people, 
to reveal God's glory as it was always meant to be revealed, which is through a life of the cross. And when he frees this young boy, restores that relationship and gives him back to his father, the crowd is astounded. Do we live a faith that is astounding? Or do we simply chase the opportunity that we might be astounded ourselves? It's something we got to think about. Do we want to follow Jesus? Or do we want to stay on the mountain? Jesus is going to lead the world into an exodus. Will we follow? You've been empowered to follow. The Holy Spirit is within you. There is nothing that can stand in your way. This local church is the body of Christ to this community. We have been empowered to do so. Are we going to find ourselves like the disciples, unable to offer liberation for whatever reason? Or are we going to trust that we've been given everything we need? The text leaves it a little open to interpretation as to why the disciples were having trouble. But some clues come just before when they think that the Christ has come to be glorious and powerful and lead Israel into a new revolution, establish a new kingdom to put Israel first, to be the greatest. And Jesus says, you know that I'm the Christ, but I don't think you understand what that means. I came to be defeated on a cross for you to take on all the evil of this world, that liberation may come through it, that exodus may be my battle cry, exodus to all that ensnared you and enslaves you so that you may go as a people freed to those in need of exodus too. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to follow and to go and to do as Jesus did it means we pick up a cross and that's hard i don't want to do that if i'm honest do you want to do that does anybody want to pick up a cross and suffer we don't focus on the suffering we focus on why we do it because we know beyond that suffering comes new life beyond that cross comes an empty tomb we follow because we know that jesus leads us into the true life the life beyond the death So let us follow. Let us give up the quest for glory and instead quest for the life beyond the cross and stare down that cross in our way every single day knowing it holds no power, knowing that it actually leads us into life despite its best efforts to steer us away from it. Let us go out into our world and offer the exodus of Jesus Christ And let us be a people that astounds the crowd. Amen.